as we think about first century Palestine, we ask the question, will the real king of the Jews please stand up? There is only one who is still standing. Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels, because he is worthy of all of our devotion. Simply Devotion, where we're looking at the historical Jesus. I am joined again with my ever-increasing famous co-host, Jonathan Martin. And we are talking about the Messiahship of Jesus from the historical point of view. Now, John, one of the things I sometimes wonder about is how many kings there were when I read the New Testament. It's almost like there's king fever going on in the New Testament. Ever notice that? Yeah, there there is a lot of conversation about kings in the New Testament. We have uh, names of kings that are being thrown around. We've got the title "King of the Jews" being uh, thrown around. Yeah, there's there's a lot of talk about king and who is the king. There's like patriarchs and then there's kings and then there's the emperor and there you know you got Caesar, you got you, you, you've got all these you know Pontius Pilate is he a governor or a king or a tetrarch like we yeah. talked a little bit about that when we talked about the major players way back in the beginning of this season remember that yep yep we went back we talked about a lot of these uh, major players we did talk a little bit about uh, King Herod um, and I believe in that at that time it was uh, Herod Antipas we were referring to. Uh, you know, so we, we did refer to uh, some of these kings. But yeah, there's a lot of people that seem to have positions, uh, positions of power in in the New Testament, in the Bible. Uh, but the, the real question is, what, what's going on here, right? Because I thought you could only have one king. <laughs> exactly exactly like like so who, will the real king stand up is actually you know the point of the title of this podcast today right like who is the real king will the real king stand up when we talk about king herod who are we talking about because you know in my mind i see an old angry guy <laughs> With a with a beard, and he likes to kill children. <laughs> like like he shows up in Christmas plays a lot. Like, but is that King Herod? Like, so this whole idea of kingship, you know, this whole idea of the political systems at the time of Jesus, this whole idea of a rising Messiah. Because what you and I, John, believe is that Jesus is the King of Kings. He's the real King that's going to stand up amidst 
these phonies or worldly kings, but there are a lot of people trying to own that title. Hmm. In fact, King Herod, there's more than one King Herod, right? That is what it seems to be like in, in the New Testament. If, if you read the New Testament closely, there are there is more than one King Herod. Basically six King Herods. But in my mind, it's all the same mean guy with a beard who, <laughs> who wants to kill any baby that might be Jesus. Like, that's when we think about Herod the most, right? Well, and, and it makes sense, right? Because all the King Herods have the same name. And they're all <laughs> governing around the same time. So it's easy to get confused about King Herod because you literally have six different guys all within the same kind of close period of time, all with the title king and all performing some sort of gubernatorial function so you know it's it's i'm lenient towards people who assume that this is all the same guy it's easy to to get confused it is very easy to get confused one of the things we can clear up in this podcast episode as we introduce the idea of kings and kingships and messiah and who is the legitimate king not just of earth but of heaven is this idea of who is king herod and this idea of tetrarchs we talked before tetrarchs are kings and they can't see my air quotes Mm kind of like governors right King Herod the Great is the first one we encounter in the New Testament, right? And and so King Herod the Great is an interesting king because he comes up around the same time as Jesus. He's he's the king that is in charge at the time of Jesus. Birth of Jesus. Right. Yes. Yes. Thank you. That's a very important point to clarify. At the birth, when I say when Jesus comes up, I mean when Jesus comes (laughs) up. Yes. Yeah. Um, Because the other Herods come into play in the ministry of Jesus. Right. Right? So King Herod, and and he has a particular title that was bestowed upon him by the Roman Senate. Herod the Great, but that's not his full title. His full title is Herod the Great, King of the Jews. Mm. And that title was given to him by the Roman Senate. So it wasn't even given to him by the Jewish people. No. Right. This is not coming. This is not coming from Israel. No. This is not coming from the Judeans. He's not a Jew. He's an Edomite. Mm. You know what an Edomite is, right? They're, he's of the lineage of Esau. That's right. And he has a really interesting story because not only is Herod the Great an Edomite of the lineage of Esau, during a previous war, his family were forced converted to Judaism. He's a forced Jew in name only mm-hmm. by the territory of Edom he lives in. Right. He's a descendant of Esau. Yeah. And to the Romans, they don't know the difference between that and a real Jew. <laughs> and they right. just want someone to go in because they recently acquired from the Greeks the Judean area, Palestine. And they want a tetrarch that can go in and make peace without a lot of bloodshed. Because contrary to popular opinion, the Roman government, although they were powerful and merciless, they would prefer to have peace. (laughs) 
Well, it was important to trade. I mean, with an empire so large, you need to be able to get from one side of the empire to the other in relative safety so that, you know, the economy can keep moving forward. Right. So if you could have this king who is the king of the Jews, you could make the Jews feel like, okay, you're important. You have your own king, even though we have Caesar above him and the Roman Senate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Right? But mm-hmm. here's Herod the Great, the king of the Jews, but he's not quite a Jew. And so the Jews don't quite accept him. So he starts bribing them right away. And his big thing is he builds um, huge buildings. He's the Herod, Herod the Great because he's a great architect, a great builder. And one of the first projects he undertakes is the beautification of the temple, which, as we know from the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, was very plain. And when the forefathers saw it, they wept because of how plain it was. So in comes the new king of the Jews trying to make an impression on everybody. And he beautifies the temple to try to make people feel like what? Like, oh, yeah, we have our king. We have our guy. Right. So he is uh, truly a politician, right? Because he is trying to keep Rome happy. Mm -hmm. And by the way, his authority comes from Rome. He is only king because Rome says he's king. Okay. And, um, but he's also needing to make the Jews happy. Right. So he's kind of like this in-between guy who is doing what Rome wants, but he also needs to make the Jewish people happy. And so he encountered, you know, he, he goes on these building projects so that um, the Jews can basically be like, hey, this guy's not so bad. Right. Look what he did for us. Look what he did for our religion. He's still merciless. He's still cruel. But he's one of us or at least partly one of us <laughs> we'll at least tolerate him that's the idea that's what they're hoping for yeah and this is also why he takes great offense to hearing that a baby has been born who is called what king of the jews, of the jews right <laughs> yeah because in the in the christmas story in the, in the book of matthew um the the wise men or the magi they show up and they're like hey where is the one who is born king of the Jews? We saw his star in in the sky. Like, where, where is this king of the Jews? And he's like, uh, what? What do you mean, king of the Jews? Now, in a side note, when I was doing a little bit of research here for our episode, I came across some historical data that showed that uh, King Herod the Great was, number one, super obsessed with establishing a dynasty right a lineage of kingship that would go into the future and he was super paranoid about challenges to his kingship he was like Uh, mentally ill paranoid about everything so, so he literally destroyed historical documents Mm -hmm. in libraries mm-hmm. to prevent people from challenging him as king and establishing their own kingly lineage right because he's like you said he's an edomite right so he doesn't really have uh, he's he's a jew by force right so to speak and and so he doesn't have he's a naturalized the, jew yeah a naturalized <laughs> jew right so if anybody did their research 
right? Because this is before Google. So if anybody did their research in the libraries and they would discover who he really is, right, there could be a little bit of a challenge to his authority as king. So he was super paranoid. He destroyed historical documents so nobody could really trace his lineage. And, and, and so nobody could challenge his authority as king either by using family trees and, and lineages and things like that. Right. So, so when he hears from these magi that there is somebody born king of the Jews, and he's like, mm, nobody was born in this palace. Who are you talking about? <laughs> All right. <laughs> he he literally becomes obsessed with this concept to the point where he's killing newborn babies. Right. Right. And that's the story of of the killing of new, newborn babies. He basically rules from 37 to 4 BC, right? Right. So right um, around the time that Jesus is born, okay, he he's alive just long enough, kill babies. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he dies shortly, shortly after that. Right. And, and so the second King Herod that we find in the Bible um is King Herod. Yeah, our Archelaus, Archelaus? Uh, is how I would is how I would pronounce it. King Herod Archelaus. He is of that dynasty that King Herod the Great was was trying to establish, right? So mm-hmm. he was one of the three sons of King Herod the Great, and he received half of his father's territory. Right. So he was probably the oldest. Right, and the territory that he had was around Jerusalem and Samaria, mm-hmm. right? Which would cover, of course, Bethlehem, right? And so right. Um, he would be, he would have been the tetriarch over that territory. And he got replaced by a Roman pro- procreator? Yeah, procreator. <laughs> okay, but, but this is, this guy helps us understand a little bit clear up some confusions too, right? Because his territory gets taken over by Pontius Pilate. Right. Or who would, or the position that Pontius would, Pilate would eventually have. Right. right? So, so um, Herod Archelaus, even though he was given half the territory of his father, Herod the Great, right? So Herod the Great, the one who kills babies, Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, and Herod Archelaus, he's his son. He gets the territory of Judea and uh, Samaria. So, you know, but eventually his his power is taken away because 10 years into his reign, uh, his power is is taken away and given uh, to a Roman procurator. Right. Um, so it's given a new position is created. And and so he's no longer in charge anymore. And that's the same position that uh, Pontius Pilate had. Right. Which is why Pontius Pilate is called governor. But as we said, there's little difference just depending on what the Roman Senate title was declared upon them. If you're a governor or a king. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. At the end of the day, what Pontius Pilate was doing is what a king would have been doing. Right, right. Or at least the king of the Jews as established by the Roman Empire, right? He's doing the same job. Right, right. Now, this is to be differentiated further from the third Herod, right? Right. And the third Herod is probably the one that 
is most popular in the Gospels. But when we hear when we hear Herod and it's not Christmas time, <laughs> right? When right. we hear Herod and we're not preaching Christmas sermons, it's right. probably Herod Antipas. Correct. And he is attached to a certain geographical territory, just like Ar- Archelaus was. Mm-hmm. Archelaus mm-hmm. was over, you know, Jerusalem and Samaria. Mm-hmm. And Antipas is over Galilee, which is why we hear a lot about him, right? Right. Well, a lot of Jesus's ministry was in Galilee. Most a of it, as of, you pointed out earlier, yeah. right? And and John the Baptist's ministry, um, not quite Galilee. No, he was down closer to Judea. But but a lot of Jesus's ministry happened in Galilee, and so. Um, it would make sense that his name would appear at times. This is the one that Jesus called a fox, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Jesus didn't have nice words in, in, in Luke 13 for him. Um, and he was basically over Galilee. This is the one who divorced his first wife to marry uh, Herodias, right? Right. Um, and, you know, this is the, the head on the silver plate story that we covered when we talked about John the Baptist. Right. Right. So what we're pointing out here for our listeners, I know this is hard for our listeners, but uh, we'll put a visual track in the show notes for them. The Herod who beheads John the Baptist is not the Herod who kills the babies, Right. (laughs) nor is it the Herod who rules over Jerusalem. It's not Herod the Great who was bestowed by the Roman Senate, King of the Jews. It's not Herod Archelaus, who gets replaced by Pontius Pilate. It is Herod Antipas, um, who plagues Jesus most of his adult life as Jesus is going around Galilee and doing ministry, and also plagues John the Baptist most of his life. Not not only only plagues him, but kills him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And that's Herod Antipas. Yeah. And, and I actually visited the place where apparently he beheaded John at um, <laughs> and, and kept him imprisoned. And um, yeah. And so n- now we have three Herods down <laughs> and three right. Herods to go. <laughs> Correct. So we have Herod Philip the Tetrarch. Mm-hmm. And he got a remaining quarter of the dynasty. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets the northeast side of Galilee, mostly a Gr- the Greek side, what, maybe the Decapolis side would, would, is what we would, would have called it. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that we hear a lot about Herod Philip the Tetrarch in the Bible. Right. Uh, and pro- probably because he was ruling over mostly the Gentile area. So aside from Jesus' brief ministry in um, the Decapolis, you know, neither Jesus or John the Baptist would have done very much in his territory. So we're not going to hear a whole lot about him. Right. He's not a major player. You know, he's not going to... Um, come into a lot of conflict um, with our biblical characters. Right. right. So just to recap for our listeners, all right, we have Herod the Great, 
who is the baby killer who tried to kill Jesus when the Magi showed up and told him there was a king of the Jews. 37 to 4 BC. Right. And he dies, okay? And then his kingdom is divided into three parts and given to three sons. His oldest son was Herod Archelaus, who received- 4 BC to 680. Right. And and he receives half the kingdom, which includes the areas of Judea and Samaria. Okay. And then his other two sons each get a quarter of the kingdom. And we have uh, Herod Antipas, the guy that kills John the Baptist. From 4 BC to 39 AD. Right. And then we have uh, Herod Philip the Tetrarch, who also gets a quarter of his dad's original kingdom. And he's kind of in charge of more of the Gentile region uh, there in, in Palestine. So, um, so we have dad and three sons. Right. Dad. Yeah, exactly. Dad and three sons. And. Archelaus takes the largest portion and Antipas and Philip divide up what's left. Mm-hmm. And Antipas loses his to Pontius Pilate. Um, and then we have Agrippa one and Agrippa two. Right. Sometimes they're a little bit easier to understand because people might just call them Agrippas, like Agrippa one and Agrippa two. Right. But they're actually Herod Agrippa one and Herod Agrippa two. Right. So they're part of that same dynasty. Right. And these are the Herods that we encounter in scripture after the gospels into the book of Acts. So Jesus didn't really live under the reign of the two Agrippas, but the apostles did as they were fulfilling Jesus's commission, right? To take the gospel into the whole world so they they're the ones that encountered and lived under the two agrippas and by the way herod agrippa one would have been the son of herod the greats of one of herod the great sons so this is a great grandchild no not a great grand, this is a grandchild of the original herod who killed all the babies right Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and then, then Herod Agrippa II would have been Herod Agrippa I's son. So this is a great-grandchild of the Herod that killed all the babies. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly right. So, and, and here's what's really interesting. I'm, I'm just looking at this and thinking through this. Here's what's really interesting. At the trial of Jesus... You have Pontius Pilate, who has taken over. Uh, he's taken over uh, Archelaus's Archelaus's place, right? Mm-hmm. And he's meeting with Herod Antipas. <laughs> right. Right. It's it's so Pontius Pilate who was visiting at the time, right? So right. at the time of Jesus's crucifixion, Herod Antipas was visiting the area, and so Pontius Pilate just sends Jesus over to Herod Antipas, just kind of as a formality. And the Bible tells us that Pontius Pilate and Herod uh, Antipas became great friends after that. <laughs> it's like yeah, I, I I took your brother's job, but we bonded over crucifying Jesus. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> See, so 
this this history of king stuff is pretty i know like we're being bible geeky here but but it's pretty interesting stuff so i'm just going to try to do the recap one more time to make it as simple as possible and i'm going to put the dates there so so we got the granddaddy of them all herod the great Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want anyone else being a king of the Jew, which is the whole point of this episode, right? Will the real king stand up, yeah. right? And he, he he's given the title by the Roman Senate, Herod the Great, king of the Jews. And he goes and beautifies the temple. And he rules from 37 to 4 BC. And then we have Herod Achilles, And he takes about a third of the kingdom after his dad passes it to him. And he rules from... 4 BC to 6 AD. And then we have Herod Antipas, who takes um, a smaller sliver of the kingdom, but it's the sliver of the kingdom that's really important to us because it's where Jesus lives in Galilee. And he rules from 4 BC to um, 39 AD, which is why he's around at the crucifixion of Jesus. Herod Philip the Tetrarch, which we don't know why he got that name, uh, the Tetrarch when the other Herods didn't. Um, but he is a Tetrarch. He's a king over a particular area, mostly the Greek side of Galilee, um, where Jesus didn't spend a lot of time. And he rules from 4 BC to 34 AD. And then we have the post Jesus Tetrarchs or Herods. Yes. Herod Agrippa I, mm-hmm. the time of the book of Acts from 37. To 44, but only over Judea from 41 to 44. And then we have Herod Agrippa II, who is around 50 AD. And he's a kind of a, to, to, uh, to, to 93 AD, and he's kind of an important guy because he's ruling during the Jewish wars. Um, even though he's not so as important, you know, in terms of reading the book of Acts or so forth, but but in the latter part of the book, book of Acts, he becomes important again. Um, so there, the point is, there are all these kings, and there's this dynasty. But this dynasty is a fraud. Mm-hmm. It's not a fraud in that it's illegitimate. It has civil dictates. Mm-hmm. But it is a fraud in that it claims its dynasty to rule the Jews. Right, because anybody that would look into the lineage of the Herods, assuming that they come across information that Herod the Great didn't destroy, right? But anybody looking into the lineage of the Herods would realize they're not really the king of Jews, at least not from a Jewish perspective. Right. Right. And so when we talk about the king of the Jews, we sometimes are not articulate in our language, right? So we should point out, as we rightfully have in this episode, that king of the Jews was a title bestowed by the Roman Senate on Herod the Great. Um, But when we say king of the Jews, we mean it in a messianic sense, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Well, John, what do we mean when we say messianic? Well, a lot of times when when we say messianic or or we use the term Messiah, you know, we're we're talking about a chosen one from 
the lineage of David uh, who will rescue uh, the Jewish people, either from oppressing rulers or from sin. So linguistically, is there a tie between the terms Messiah and Christ? Yes. Messiah and Christ are used interchangeably. Um, so they, they mean the same thing. And what does Christ mean? Anointed one. And so Messiah means anointed one. Mm-hmm. So we're not just looking for a king of the Jews. We're looking for a king of the Jews who's anointed. Anointed. So are you suggesting then, Vinny, that all these Herods are not the anointed ones? They're bestowed by the Senate. But what does it mean to be anointed? Unpack that, Vinny, because I think most people, when they hear anointed they probably think of some sort of oil getting poured over somebody's head right (laughs) true 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 and yeah i I guess it really the semantics of it all comes down to who's anointing right Mm. right anyone can pour oil on someone's head right but if we're talking about the anointed king of the jews we're talking about the king of the jews who is anointed in the way that would be an acceptable anointing um, from the Jewish traditions, right? And actually, you know, we don't really find that idea that prevalent in the Old Testament in terms of some, you, you know, until later in the Old Testament. Let me parse it that way. But anointing someone to lead God's people is an early concept. It's tied to the priesthood. Okay? And we don't see kings doing it until quite far into the Jewish religious development. Okay? So I think the reference I have found um, is Exodus 29. This is where we find the, the, the reference of anointing. And we find that um, it says, um, now this is what you shall do to them to consecrate them, that they may serve as priests. You know, and it goes on to, you know, what sacrifice to make and so forth. And then it says to mix oil and to smear it on them, right? So the very first time in the Old Testament that we encounter the concept of anointing Mm -hmm. is in reference to the priesthood, right? So we have now people who are anointed to be priests, to work in the sanctuary, to work in the what would eventually become the temple uh, to offer sacrifices and, and, and such. So that's the first time that we, we see the word uh, anointed or we see this concept of anointing someone. Right, right. Yes, we, we find it in Exodus 29. Um, 
the anointing of the priest of Israel. Then we see a further concent, uh, concentration of this in Leviticus uh, chapter 8, sort of talking about uh, taking the oil um, in, in, in the sin offering and, and applying it to the priest because of the special work that he's going to do. But we don't see this happen to Moses. Moses is like the military leader. And and Aaron is taking care of the spiritual side to do with redemption. Moses is leading the people into the promised land. Yes. Um, But we don't see any kings do this. There are no kings in Israel to do this. I mean, this until Samuel. Mm. And Samuel anoints David. David. But he also anoints Saul. That's right, before David. All right, Samuel anoints Saul. And Saul is the first king. And it's almost like, do we want, like, so we can have prophets, we can have judges. We had judges, right? Mm -hmm. We can have civic leaders. But if they're going to be kings, and, and again, we could get into this whole idea that Jews were not supposed to have kings and that Samuel begged them not to take a king. And God comes along and says, look, don't do this. You know, okay, we want to do it. And God's like, okay, Samuel, don't take it personal that they're rejecting you. They're actually rejecting me. You might remember that whole story, right? I think First Samuel 8 is, if I'm remembering correctly. And so eventually they go ahead and they get a king. Then they're like, they're happy because they've united under this king, Saul. He's been anointed. Samuel's anointed him. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting read, not to get into all the detail, but the priesthood is kind of broken down by this point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Eli has adopted Samuel in as priest and judge because no one trusts the priesthood anymore. Eli's own sons are corrupted, right? And so it's like Samuel sort of acts himself as the stopgap between the failing priesthood and the arrival of the first king. And that king doesn't work out, right? No. Um, And then David shows up. Well, and before we get to David, you know, we were talking a little bit, you know, before we started recording that the reason Saul doesn't work out is because Saul is trying to be priest. Right. When when he's not a priest. Right. Right. So Saul's trying to decide if he should go up to battle or not. And he's supposed to wait on Samuel to show up to make the offering and after they have the offering god will tell them right um but but saul gets so scared that he goes ahead and does the offering without samuel because samuel delays and as king he doesn't have the authority the spiritual authority to actually do an offering it must be done by a priest now Samuel is not a legitimate priest by birth, but he's been adopted into the priesthood by Eli and serving the with the ephod according to the book of Samuel his whole life in the priesthood. Mm-hmm. So Saul should have waited for Samuel to make the offering, but he violated that by assuming a spiritual position that was not meant for the king. Right. He was an anointed to do that. 
He was not anointed to do that, which is why David is such a pillar in the changing of the narrative. Okay. Because David is not assuming. David is just a little shepherd boy. Mm-hmm. The least of the house of Jesse. And he's chosen by God in this conversation that God has with Samuel because he's not assuming, because he's not entitled, because he doesn't want to use might to make right. Hmm. But he does because he's worthy in a way that Saul was not because he wasn't looking to have that right. Hmm. So he gets anointed too. Now, oh man, we could do a whole episode on this and there's just no time to do that. But to recap the story quickly for our listeners, now you have two anointed kings running around. (laughs) Mm. One is illegitimate in God's eyes. One is legitimate in God's eyes. One is illegitimate in man's eyes. And the other is legitimate in man's eyes. Mm -hmm. But they're both the anointed of God. And David has repeated opportunities to kill Saul. But he's like, I will not take that authority on myself to kill the most anointed of the Lord. Right? Like, I will not kill the other Messiah. (laughs) Right? But but Saul is like, give me the chance and I'll kill David. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Saul doesn't care about the anointing. Right. But David's like, far be it for me to kill the anointed of the most high. Right. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so you can see the spiritual difference in these two people, even as one grasps for power and one gets power by not grasping for it. Mm-hmm. And so, God Himself says there will always be a king after David on David's throne, which is something He does not say about Saul. Right. So now the lineage of David becomes super important. Now we can have messianic ideas. Mm -hmm. You see, before you have a king, how can you have a messiah, (laughs) right? And and so now we can start thinking about the development of messianic thinking. And by the time we get to second temple, by the time we get to first century of second temple, by the time we get to King Herod the Great, in the birth of Jesus. This has developed to the idea that there would be this anointed of God Hmm. who would be a mighty warrior and would overthrow any oppressors and that he would be from the lineage of Jesse David, right? So by the time Jesus shows up, all right. By the time Jesus shows up, we've got the Herods who are king of the Jews, but they're only given that title because Rome gave them that title. And then we have random people who are probably claiming 
that they are Messiah, that they are Christ, that they are the anointed one. Josephus tells us about that. Right? Josephus tells us about that. And they're probably tracing their lineage somehow back to David. Okay? So we got those people running around. We got the Herods uh, running around. And then we have... Pontius Pilate. We got random people being bestowed by, 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 by the emperor. Right. right? So... Going back to the original question, going back to what we originally started this podcast with, who's the king of the Jews? Because we got a lot of people who are trying to claim that title. Is it the Herods? Is it uh, Augustus Caesar? Is it these other random dudes that are claiming to be in the lineage of, of, of David? You know, is it governors from Rome? Like, who, who's in charge here? So, by the time of Herod the Great, who is being given the political title of King of the Jews by the Roman Senate, and all these other contenders wanting a piece of his dynasty, even as it's falling apart, you got the Jewish wars going on, you, you got the building conflict going on between Rome and the Jews. And you have this baby being born. The Jews themselves, I don't think, John, are looking for a spiritual figure as much as a political power. Mm-hmm. In the vein of King David. Right, right. Now, when you and I think about King David, we think about his great spiritual side. We think about this kid who was willing to take on Goliath. We think mm-hmm. a, a, about this 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 king who was this romantic at heart. And we we you know we we you know we think about this this all heart character guy, right? Mm-hmm. But they think about the guy who finally took political control of Jerusalem. Another point that most Christians miss in thinking about messiahship. Israel did not have control over Jerusalem until David. So I think that's a fundamental point that most Christians miss, that that until David, no one has political control over Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Which is why they think that the Messiah must overthrow Rome and and, and reinstate kingship again. Messiah, Jewish kingship again. Right. Right, exactly. Which is why being called the king of the Jews was an attack, really. It's not accidental, is it? That this random Edomite would gain political favor. And if you go back and read Herod the Great's uh, political conquests, he worked his way to that position. I mean, he was a down-in-the-dirt politician who, who won through political favor that position. But it's not accidental that this time that Jesus of Nazareth is being born in Bethlehem, that the Roman Senate is saying, no, we have chosen the king over Jerusalem, Herod yeah. the Great. And God is like, yeah, just like someone chose Saul, but I wanted David. <laughs> and Saul tried to get control over Jerusalem and couldn't, but David did mm-hmm. at Saul's death. Mm-hmm. There, these, these are not accidental parallels. 
Right. Because then the, what the Jews were looking for was another David. When the Jews used the term Messiah, when the Jews used the term Christ, they were referring to David part two. We want David part two, who will come in, overthrow the Romans, establish Israel as its own sovereign nation, and we can live happily ever after, right? That's what they were thinking. When Matthew borrows from Isaiah 7 and says, he will be Emmanuel, God with you, Matthew adds this, of course, Gabriel is speaking. Matthew's recording Gabriel. And you will call him Jesus, for he saves his people. This is not tied to the idea of a Jewish Messiah. This is the angel Gabriel coming from heaven to clarify that Messiah won't just be a political figure. Because it could have been Antipas, it could have been the Great, it could have been Philip, it could have been Agrippa if it's just a political figure. Gabriel in Matthew adds to the criteria he must also be Joshua he must also usher his people into the promised land he must also save his people from their sins which is what makes the Christian doctrine of Messiah of Christ of anointed more complete more developed more meaningful in any perspective that the Jews themselves had on what Messiah would be. Because we're not just looking for political power. We're looking for a power that will rule the nations with a rod of iron, but to save them, right? Which is the reason it goes back to the priestly anointing, to the Aaron anointing that's passed to kingship. It comes through to Jesus. Then the book of Hebrews, we find out that Jesus is not just Messiah, not that there's anything wrong with being Messiah, but he's Messiah and what? High priest. Mm-hmm. Right? Of a greater priesthood mm-hmm. than Aaron, right? Yeah. So the Christian idea of Messiah is an elevated Jewish idea, not limited to the limitations of a Jewish Messiah, not exclusive of them. They're a part of it, but it's more than what the Jews expected. Yeah. Yeah. So in Jesus, we have a merger of sorts because we have priests who are anointed in the Old Testament, and then we have kings who are anointed. Who weren't even supposed to exist, but ended up existing. Right. Yeah. Because God was supposed to be their king, but the people were like, no, we want our king. So now you have kings who are anointed, but the priests are not the same as the kings. And so in Jesus, we also have an anointed one, but he is anointed as king, but also as priest. And so in Jesus, we have a more complete Messiah, a more complete Christ than any Jewish at the time could have ever imagined. If we don't bring that point out, we miss how wonderful and beautiful the Messiahship of Jesus is. It's everything the Jews wanted, plus eternal life. Jesus overthrows the Romans. It's just not on their timetable. Mm-hmm. 
right? Jesus overthrows every nation. Mm-hmm. Just not on our timetable. Right. Because he's not just interested in ruling with the rod of iron, as it says in Revelation. Mm-hmm. But he's interested in saving his people and getting them to the promised land. Yes. So he becomes more than a messiah at least more than what they thought a messiah was right which is why paul in describing jesus's role here he can't draw from david he can't draw from aaron he needs to draw from melchizedek you 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 mean hebrews yes yeah yes oh. paul apollos whoever we think wrote it uh that opinion will differ um, yes, Melchizedek. And here's another thing, though. Melchizedek had like this whole sort of kingly, majestic point to him. Why? Because we know at the time of Abraham, he was the king of peace, ruling Jerusalem with peace, and also the high priest at the same time, which is why Jesus is of a higher order than David. Because David technically... Although he acted like a priest, <laughs> David technically was just the king. But Jesus is the king who saves his people, not just politically, but spiritually. He is the king who is the high priest. And it's, it's just so interesting because everyone's focused on who the Messiah is and who the king is. This is an idea that would have been foreign to Torah. And only develops because the whole idea of kingship only develops because people were unfaithful to Torah. <laughs> Think about it, right? Mm-hmm. You have this emerging idea, and it emerges in the Old Testament because people reject Samuel. And then we have Saul, then we have David, then Solomon messes everything up, splits the kingdom in half. You have the north, you have the south, you have dueling kingships, you know. Like, so it really does come down to on the Jewish side, on the Roman side, on the global side. No one can decide, John, who is the king at this point in Earth's history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the one you would least expect. Think about all the, Herod the Great built beautiful buildings. Where is he now? Yeah. There is one indisputable king still ruling the universe. Even for our atheist friends who don't believe in such a king, they're forced to reckon with him daily. Hmm. Because his influence cannot be stopped still felt still shaking the nations yeah yeah that's exactly it as we think about first century palestine we ask the question will the real king of the jews please stand up there is only one who is still standing So how do you know who is the real king of the Jews? It's the guy that's still standing when all is said and done. Exactly. Exactly. 
We've had some great presidents. We've had some great kings. We've had some great rulers. We've had some great nations. But there's still one guy standing. Still one guy indisputably influencing almost everything political on the world. Still the target of everyone. <laughs> People are still trying to take him down. If he wasn't a threat, why, why is everyone so worried about him? Good point. I mean, why do I have these conversations with atheists who are so furious about this guy who, according to them, at best, was just some random madman? His influence is indisputable. His dynasty didn't end at his death. Bingo. You have been listening to a podcast produced by SimplyVinny.com. Stop by our website, read our blog, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all that jazzy promotional stuff. But remember, I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head, Jesus is still the logo, the reason, the logic, the word that builds your life back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.